Chapter Five, Part One of the Confessions of Arsène Lupin. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Confessions of Arsène Lupin by Maurice Leblanc. Chapter Five, The Red Silk Scarf. On leaving his house one morning at his usual early hour for going to the law courts, Chief Inspector Ganimard noticed the curious behavior of an individual who was walking along the Rue Pergolèse in front of him, shabbily dressed and wearing a straw hat though the day was the first of December, the man stooped at every thirty or forty yards to fasten his boot-lace, or pick up his stick, or for some other reason, and each time he took a little piece of orange-peel from his pocket and laid it stealthily on the curb of the pavement. It was probably a mere display of eccentricity, a childish amusement to which no one else would have paid attention, but Ganimard was one of those shrewd observers who are indifferent to nothing that strikes their eyes, and who are never satisfied until they know the secret cause of things. He therefore began to follow the man. Now at the moment when the fellow was turning to the right, into the Avenue de la Grande Armée, the inspector caught him exchanging signals with a boy of twelve or thirteen, who was walking along the houses on the left-hand side. Twenty yards further, the man stooped and turned up the bottom of his trouser-legs. A bit of orange-peel marked the place. At the same moment, the boy stopped and, with a piece of chalk, drew a white cross surrounded by a circle on the wall of the house next to him. The two continued on their way. A minute later, a fresh halt. The strange individual picked up a pin and dropped a piece of orange-peel, and the boy at once made a second cross on the wall, and again drew a white circle round it. "'By Jove!' thought the chief inspector, with a grunt of satisfaction. "'This is rather promising. What on earth can those two merchants be plotting?' The two merchants went down the Avenue Friedland and the Rue du Faubourg Saint-Honoré, but nothing occurred that was worthy of special mention. The double performance was repeated at almost regular intervals, and so to speak mechanically. Nevertheless, it was obvious, on the one hand, that the man with the orange-peel did not do his part of the business until after he had picked out with a glance the house that was to be marked, and on the other hand, that the boy did not mark that particular house until after he had observed his companion's signal. It was certain, therefore, that there was an agreement between the two, and the proceedings presented no small interest in the chief inspector's eyes. At the Place Beauvau the man hesitated. Then, apparently making up his mind, he twice turned up and twice turned down the bottom of his trousers' legs. Hereupon the boy sat down on the curb, opposite the sentry who was mounting guard outside the Ministry of the Interior, and marked the flagstone with two little crosses contained within two circles. The same ceremony was gone through a little farther on, when they reached the Élysée. Only on the pavement where the President's sentry was marching up and down, there were three signs instead of two. "'Hang it all!' muttered Ganimard, pale with excitement and thinking, in spite of himself, of his inveterate enemy Lupin, whose name came to his mind whenever a mysterious circumstance presented itself. "'Hang it all! What does it mean?' He was nearly collaring and questioning the two merchants but he was too clever to commit so gross a blunder. The man with the orange-peel had now lit a cigarette, and the boy, also placing a cigarette-end between his lips, had gone up to him, apparently with the object of asking for a light. They exchanged a few words. Quick as thought, the boy handed his companion an object which looked, at least so the inspector believed, like a revolver. They both bent over this object, and the man, standing with his face to the wall, put his hand six times in his pocket and made a movement as though he were loading a weapon. As soon as this was done, they walked briskly to the Rue de Surenne. 
and the inspector, who followed them as closely as he was able to do without attracting their attention, saw them enter the gateway of an old house, of which all the shutters were closed, with the exception of those on the third or top floor. He hurried in after them. At the end of the carriage entrance he saw a large courtyard, with a house-painter's sign at the back, and a staircase on the left. He went up the stairs, and, as soon as he reached the first floor, ran still faster, because he heard, right up at the top, a din as of a free fight. When he came to the last landing he found the door open. He entered, listened for a second, caught the sound of a struggle, rushed to the room from which the sound appeared to proceed, and remained standing on the threshold, very much out of breath and greatly surprised to see the man of the orange-peel and the boy banging the floor with chairs. At that moment a third person walked out of an adjoining room. It was a young man of twenty-eight or thirty, wearing a pair of short whiskers in addition to his moustache, spectacles, and a smoking-jacket, with an astrakhan collar and looking like a foreigner, a Russian. "'Good morning, Ganimard,' he said. And turning to the two companions, "'Thank you, my friends, and all my congratulations on the successful result. Here's the reward I promised you.' He gave them a hundred-franc note, pushed them outside, and shut both doors. "'I'm sorry, old chap,' he said to Ganimard. "'I wanted to talk to you, wanted to talk to you badly.' He offered him his hat, and, seeing that the inspector remained flabbergasted, and that his face was still distorted with anger, he exclaimed, "'Why, you don't seem to understand. And yet it's clear enough. I wanted to see you particularly. So what could I do?' And pretending to reply to an objection, "'No, no, old chap,' he continued, "'you're quite wrong. If I had written or telephoned, you would not have come, or else you would have come with a regiment.' Now I wanted to see you all alone, and I thought the best thing was to send those two decent fellows to meet you, with orders to scatter bits of orange-peel and draw crosses and circles, in short, to mark out your road to this place. Why, you look quite bewildered. What is it? Perhaps you don't recognize me. Lupin! Arsène Lupin! Ransack your memory. Doesn't the name remind you of anything? Dirty scoundrel! Ganimard snarled between his teeth. Lupin seemed greatly distressed, and, in an affectionate voice, "'Are you vexed? Yes, I can see it in your eyes. The Dugrival business, I suppose. I ought to have waited for you to come and take me in charge. There, now, the thought never occurred to me. I promise you next time.' "'You scum of the earth!' growled Ganimard. "'And I, thinking I was giving you a treat, upon my word I did.' I said to myself, that dear old Ganimard, we haven't met for an age. He'll simply rush at me when he sees me. Ganimard, who had not yet stirred a limb, seemed to be waking from his stupor. He looked around him, looked at Lupin, visibly asked himself whether he would not do well to rush at him in reality, and then, controlling himself, took hold of a chair and settled himself in it, as though he had suddenly made up his mind to listen to his enemy. Speak, he said, and don't waste my time with any nonsense. I'm in a hurry. "'That's it,' said Lupin. "'Let's talk. You can't imagine a quieter place than this. It's an old manor-house, which once stood in the open country, and it belongs to the Duc de Rochelaure. The Duke, who has never lived in it, lets this floor to me, and the outhouses to a painter and decorator. I always keep up a few establishments of this kind. It's a sound, practical plan. Here, in spite of my looking like a Russian nobleman, I am Monsieur Daubreuil, an ex-cabinet minister.' You understand I had to select a rather overstocked profession so as not to attract attention. "'Do you think I care a hang about all this?' said Ganimard, interrupting him. "'Quite right. I'm wasting words, and you're in a hurry. Forgive me. I shan't be long now. Five minutes, that's all. I'll start at once. 
Have a cigar? No? Very well. No more will I. He sat down also, drummed his fingers on the table while thinking, and began in this fashion. On the 17th of October, 1599, on a warm and sunny autumn day, do you follow me? But now that I come to think of it, is it really necessary to go back to the reign of Henry the Fourth and tell you all about the building of the Pont Neuf? No, I don't suppose you are very well up in French history, and I should only end by muddling you. Suffice it, then, for you to know that last night, at one o'clock in the morning, a boatman passing under the last arch of the Pont Neuf aforesaid, along the left bank of the river, heard something drop into the front part of his barge. The thing had been flung from the bridge, and its evident destination was the bottom of the Seine. The bargee's dog rushed forward, barking, and when the man reached the end of his craft, he saw the animal worrying a piece of newspaper that had served to wrap up a number of objects. He took from the dog such of the contents as had not fallen into the water, went to his cabin, and examined them carefully. The result struck him as interesting, and as the man is connected with one of my friends, he sent to let me know. This morning I was waked up and placed in possession of the facts, and of the objects which the man had collected. Here they are. He pointed to them, spread out on a table. There were, first of all, the torn pieces of a newspaper. Next came a large cut-glass inkstand, with a long piece of string fastened to the lid. There was a bit of broken glass and a sort of flexible cardboard, reduced to shreds. Lastly, there was a piece of bright scarlet silk, ending in a tassel of the same material and colour. "'You see our exhibits, friend of my youth,' said Lupin. No doubt the problem would be more easily solved if we had the other objects which went overboard, owing to the stupidity of the dog. But it seems to me, all the same, that we ought to be able to manage with a little reflection and intelligence. And those are just your great qualities. How does the business strike you?' Ganimard did not move a muscle. He was willing to stand Lupin's chaff, but his dignity commanded him not to speak a single word in answer, nor even to give it a nod or shake of the head that might have been taken to express approval or criticism. "'I see that we are entirely of one mind,' continued Lupin, without appearing to remark the chief inspector's silence. "'And I can sum up the matter briefly, as told us by these exhibits. Yesterday evening, between nine and twelve o'clock, a showily-dressed young woman was wounded with a knife, and then caught round the throat and choked to death by a well-dressed gentleman, wearing a single eyeglass and interested in racing, with whom the aforesaid showily-dressed young lady had been eating three meringues and a coffee éclair. Lupin lit a cigarette, and, taking Ganimard by the sleeve, "'Ha! That's up against you, Chief Inspector. You thought that in the domain of police deductions such feats as those were prohibited to outsiders.' "'Wrong, sir. Lupin juggles with inferences and deductions for all the world like a detective in a novel. My proofs are dazzling and absolutely simple.' And pointing to the objects one by one, as he demonstrated his statement, he resumed, "'I said after nine o'clock yesterday evening, this scrap of newspaper bears yesterday's date, with the words, Evening Edition. Also, you will see here, pasted to the paper, a bit of one of those yellow wrappers in which the subscribers' copies are sent out. These copies are always delivered by the nine o'clock post. Therefore, it was after nine o'clock. I said a well-dressed man. Please observe that this tiny piece of glass has the round hole of a single eyeglass at one of the edges, and that the single eyeglass is an essentially aristocratic article of wear. This well-dressed man walked into a pastry-cook shop. Here is the very thin cardboard, shaped like a box, and still showing a little of the cream of the meringues and eclairs which were packed in it in the usual way. Having got his parcel, 
the gentleman with the eyeglass joined a young person whose eccentricity in the matter of dress is pretty clearly indicated by this bright red silk scarf having joined her for some reason as yet unknown he first stabbed her with a knife and then strangled her with the help of this same scarf take your magnifying glass chief inspector and you will see on the silk stains of a darker red which are here the marks of a knife wiped on the scarf and there the marks of a hand covered with blood clutching the material having committed the murder his next business is to leave no trace behind him so he takes from his pocket first the newspaper to which he subscribes a racing paper as you will see by glancing at the contents of this scrap and you will have no difficulty in discovering the title and secondly a cord which on inspection turns out to be a length of whipcord these two details prove do they not that our man is interested in racing and that he himself rides next he picks up the fragments of his eyeglass the cord of which has been broken in the struggle he takes a pair of scissors observe the hacking of the scissors and cuts off the stained part of the scarf leaving the other end no doubt in his victim's clenched hands he makes a ball of the confectioner's cardboard box he also puts in certain things that would have betrayed him such as the knife which must have slipped into the seine he wraps everything in the newspaper ties it with the cord and fastens this cut-glass inkstand to it as a make-weight then he makes himself scarce a little later the parcel falls into the waterman's barge and there you are Oof, it's hot work what do you say to the story he looked at ganimard to see what impression his speech had produced on the inspector ganimard did not depart from his attitude of silence Lupin began to laugh. <laughs> as a matter of fact, you're annoyed and surprised. But you're suspicious as well. Why should that confounded Lupin hand the business over to me, say you, instead of keeping it for himself, hunting down the murderer and rifling his pockets if there was a robbery? The question is quite logical, of course. But there is a but. I have no time, you see. I am full up with work at the present moment a burglary in London, another at Lausanne, an exchange of children at Marseilles, to say nothing of having to save a young girl who is at this moment shadowed by death. That's always the way. It never rains, but it pours. So I said to myself, suppose I handed the business over to my dear old Ganimard. Now that it is half solved for him, he is quite capable of succeeding. And what a service I shall be doing him! How magnificently he will be able to distinguish himself! No sooner said than done. At eight o'clock in the morning, I sent the joker with the orange-peel to meet you. You swallowed the bait, and you were here by nine, all on edge and eager for the fray. Lupin rose from his chair. He went over to the inspector and, with his eyes in Ganimard's, said, "'That's all. You now know the whole story. Presently you will know the victim, some ballet dancer, probably, some singer at a music-hall. On the other hand, the chances are that the criminal lives near the Pont Neuf, most likely on the left bank. Lastly, here are all the exhibits. I make you a present of them. Set to work. I shall only keep this end of the scarf. If ever you want to piece the scarf together, bring me the other end, the one which the police will find round the victim's neck. Bring it me in four weeks from now to the day, that is to say, on the twenty-ninth of December, at ten o'clock in the morning. You can be sure of finding me here. And don't be afraid. This is all perfectly serious, friend of my youth. I swear it is. No humbug, honour bright. You can go straight ahead. Oh, by the way, when you arrest the fellow with the eyeglass, be a bit careful. He's left-handed. Good-bye, old dear, and good luck to you. 
Lupin spun round on his heel, went to the door, opened it, and disappeared before Ganimard had even thought of taking a decision. The inspector rushed after him, but at once found that the handle of the door, by some trick of mechanism which he did not know, refused to turn. It took him ten minutes to unscrew the lock, and ten minutes more to unscrew the lock of the hall door. By the time that he had scrambled down the three flights of stairs, Ganimard had given up all hope of catching Arsène Lupin. Besides, he was not thinking of it. Lupin inspired him with a queer, complex feeling, made up of fear, hatred, involuntary admiration, and also the vague instinct that he, Ganimard, in spite of all his efforts, in spite of the persistency of his endeavours, would never get the better of this particular adversary. He pursued him from a sense of duty and pride, but with the continual dread of being taken in by that formidable hoaxer, and scouted and fooled in the face of a public that was always only too willing to laugh at the chief inspector's mishaps. This business of the red scarf, in particular, struck him as most suspicious. It was interesting, certainly, in more ways than one, but so very improbable. And Lupin's explanation, apparently so logical, would never stand the test of a severe examination. No, said Ganimard, this is all swank, a parcel of suppositions and guesswork based upon nothing at all. I'm not to be caught with chaff. When he reached the headquarters of the police at 36 Quai des Orfèvres, he had quite made up his mind to treat the incident as though it had never happened. He went up to the criminal investigation department. Here one of his fellow inspectors said, "'Seen the chief?' "'No.' "'He was asking for you just now.' "'Oh, was he?' "'Yes, you had better go after him.' "'Where?' "'To the Rue de Berne. There was a murder there last night.' "'Oh, who's the victim?' Oh, "'I don't know exactly. A music-hall singer, I believe.' Ganimard simply muttered, "'By Jove!' End of chapter 5, part 1